This is Peter Helland on Citizens for Community Media. Um, Dr. E. Michael Jones uh, is able to come back on again. Uh, one reason he's back on is that surprisingly, <clears throat> all the books he's been selling on Amazon and uh, the videos he's been putting on YouTube have suddenly been uh, banned. Okay. And, um, you know, this show is Citizens for Community Media. And as citizens, uh, that was a word I don't think was used too much until America. And that's the idea that the citizen uh, has, I guess, ideally, First Amendment rights that were kind of unknown before, maybe. And now those rights that form the basis of the citizen identity are being attacked. Um, why they're being attacked? I guess because people are able to attack them. I guess the defense is no longer there. Uh, but the show here we're calling is Iconoclasm in St. Louis. So can we start with the attack on um, First Amendment, I guess, free speech? And then how that plays into what's happening in St. Louis that you've been asked to participate in. Yeah, we, we are in the middle of a revolution right now. There's no question. Uh, and the revolution is uh, to overthrow the ruler, okay, which who is Donald Trump. The, uh, there's a coalition of people, the oligarchs and their proxy warriors do not like Donald Trump. And they've decided they're going to do whatever it takes to remove him from office so that he can't have a second term. Uh, when, you, if, when you're involved in a revolution, you have to take control of the channels of communication. Uh, that's what has been happening uh, for a couple of years now. Last year was the big battle over the internet. Um, what, you, what you have to say, it's, it's similar to a coup d'etat in that um, when the army wants to isolate the president, they take over the radio station. And the president can't get access to the radio station. He can't say, I'm still president. You should ignore these people. And that's the way they, they depose him. That's where you get out of power. What we have here is an attempt, in many ways, to put down a rebellion among the people that was facilitated by the new social media. So once the people had the chance to start talking uh, to themselves about problems that they concerned them, Rather than having some talking head talking to them and telling them what they should be concerned about, they started doing a better job than the mainstream media in getting information out. And this was upsetting. Upsetting because they started talking about things that they had never talked about before. Well, it, it's almost on here on public access channel here. Uh, I picked up that, yeah, they were obviously, people were obviously, it appeared to me, envious of some of the things that were happening on public access here locally. Right. Because we could talk about subjects that their job description. Well, it's their job to prevent discussions like that. So we've been involved. This We're coming in a sense full circle here now because we both got started years ago. I don't know how many years ago it is. Ten something? Uh, well, we did Libido Dominandi. That was probably 2006. And then we did the one, uh, your book on revolutionary spirit. Right. So that was, you know, that's about 15 years ago, something like that. When we re recognized then there was a struggle and that we were involved in that struggle and community access TV was one of the few crumbs that got, you know, fell off the table that we were allowed to use to get the message out. 
over that period of time, uh, people got onto YouTube and we started using YouTube. And I guess we were using it really effectively because the fact that I got banned is a sign that uh, someone was listening and didn't like what I was saying. Uh, so, but we, to, to get back to St. Louis, the story of St. Louis is that there's a statue there that some people don't like. Well, we're in the middle of a wave of iconoclasm here in the United States of America, where people are uh, uh, pulling down statues. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? I think the simplest way to talk about this is to talk about South Bend, Indiana, where there have been no disturbances. We've pretty much been spared all this, but the same forces are at work here. So to give you the instance that uh, of South Bend, there was a time when there was a statue of the Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse. Now, what did that mean? That meant that uh, God's law, the logos uh, of practical reason, was the basis for the social order in South Bend, Indiana. And you knew what these commandments were. They were uh, three dedicated to God, serving God, and the rest of how to deal with your fellow man. So you have to respect your parents. You can't murder. You can't commit adultery. You can't steal. You can't lie. You can't even covet these things. And everybody knows what that meant. Okay, well, that statue got moved because there was this revolutionary ferment here. There was a group of people who did not like the idea that there were fixed laws uh, to which we had to hold to if we wanted to be a successful society. Didn't like that. So, you know, usually with this thing, uh, well, we won't ban it, we'll move it. And they moved it to a parking lot uh, behind the Morris Inn and it stayed there for a while and then it disappeared. Well, my point here is that there is no such thing as a vacuum in society. There's no such thing as a vacuum when it comes to the moral law. Well, they've been, they took the prayer out, they took the Bible reading out of schools and that case in Kentucky, the Ten Commandments was forbidden because you know, if somebody actually looked at it and thought about it, it could cause psychological problems, you know, for people that, you know, didn't believe well, it. Yeah, so it's always a pretext, always someone complaining, and somehow this person who's complaining has greater standing than the majority of the people there. It's always the same pretext. Uh, but uh, so I'm saying that uh, pedestals never remain vacant. F uh, Jones's fundamental law of uh, statuary. And the example I, I mentioned is uh, in Prague, there was a huge statue of Stalin, bust of Stalin on a pedestal in one of the main uh, public areas there. And uh, when communism fell, it was taken down. Well, that's not going to remain vacant. We are going to fill that pedestal. So the first man to fill it was Michael Jackson. Gary, Indiana. From Gary, Indiana. I saw, <laughs> so I'm in Prague, and they're telling me here, Michael Jackson showed up for a concert, and he put his statue on the pedestal. So I thought it was symbolic. It's symbolic of hegemony. Now it's the hegemony of uh, America and Hollywood and America, the gay disco, although it was a little bit before the gay disco then. Uh, uh, so that's one instance. Well, the same thing happened in South Bend, Indiana. Okay, the public space is not going to remain vacant. And we have another statue put in its place. And this statue was of Martin Luther King and Father Hesper of Notre Dame standing there together singing, We Shall Overcome. It's based on a photograph that was taken of them in Chicago in 1966 when Martin Luther King showed up there and made a fool out of himself by pretending that there was some type of racial segregation in Chicago. 
when that was simply not the case. Black ministers took out a full-page news, uh, page ad in the newspaper saying, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. There's no segregation here. It's ethnic neighborhoods, so go back down to Alabama where you understand what's going on. Uh, so it was a, a large failure. So what, what happened here is that the civil rights movement replaced the Ten Commandments. That's what we're talking about. Well, what do we mean by the civil rights movement? Well, this is the uh, official religion of the United States of America. It's taught in every public school. You got uh, fired because you tried to bring the Bible into a school, but it's mandatory to learn about the civil rights movement. You have to learn who Martin Luther King was and who Rosa Parks was and what they did. Well, they engaged in what we would have to call revolutionary activity. Uh, they basically were engaged in overthrowing the government of the southern states uh, because they didn't like the segregation rules. But they didn't do it alone because no one ever does this type of thing alone. They were uh, part of what had been in existence for about 60 years, 50 years at that time, and it was called the Black Jewish Alliance. And basically you had uh, New York Jews like the Spingarn Brothers uh, creating organizations like the NAACP, which was basically to turn Negroes into revolutionaries. That was the point of this organization, uh, is to create a slave revolt in the South so that the, 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 uh, the, the Jews could get revenge on the South for the lynching of Leo Frank. Uh, so that was the same, the same year that happened. It was the founding of the Anti-Defamation League which now became the leading purveyor of, uh, uh, now in our day, the leading purveyor, the, the inventor, the creator of hate speech. But isn't like like in Israel, isn't that disproportional? They take the Leo Frank case and they're so offended, they want to just overturn talking, the whole South? We're talking about a group of people who are by uh, their nature uh, disproportional. What do I mean by that? I mean, by nature, do I mean DNA? No, I'm not talking about DNA. I'm talking about the intellectual constitution of the Jewish people, which is known as the Talmud, which came into being uh, after the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. So the Jews rejected Jesus Christ, who was the Logos incarnate. When you reject the Logos incarnate, you become a, you're rejecting the order of the universe. When you reject the order of the universe, you become a revolutionary. And what they've been for 2,000 years now, since the rejection of Christ, has been revolutionaries to this day. Well, that, that's to that, this day. And this is a category of nature. It is not a category that I made up. I wrote the book about this 11 years ago. And in that time, I've discovered one instance after the other where it's exactly the case. And you cannot understand the situation unless you have a concept like the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And I'm saying it's exactly true of St. Louis. No, that, that you cannot was... understand that situation unless you understand the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Because there's always some type of obfuscation when you're dealing with it. It's never uh, um, uh, immediately apparent. You have to look for it. And so in the United States, it's always uh, masquerading behind racial conflict. But if you look into racial conflict, including the most recent racial conflict, you find the Jewish revolutionary spirit. So to give the, the immediate cause of all the uproar uh, recently was uh, the, uh, the death of George Floyd. So we have 
George Floyd, someone kneeling, a police officer kneeling on his neck, that immediately, he's white, Floyd is black, that immediately sets off uh, a cognitive, uh, assigning a meaning to that that is automatic because of the education that I just described about the civil rights movement. So white racism, again, black victim. Except that when you show it to Palestinians, they see the knee hold that the Israelis use on Palestinians. And then when you look into it, it turns out that the ADL organized seminars for the police department where they went to Chicago and learned from the Israelis, not only that technique, but the attitude that goes with the technique, which is basically your fellow citizen is to um, is a Palestinian and you're the Israeli. Now we we dealt with this in South Bend. We were the only people who dealt with it when they tried to Israelicize the uh, police force here. Uh, this our illustrious gay mayor came in, fired the black police chief, forever alienating himself from uh, bl- the black vote. Uh, ended his career. He didn't know it at the time. And then he immediately uh, turned to some Jewish firm who then immediately sent a black front man in uh, to distract us all from the fact that we were going to get an Israeli weaponized police force. The new man came in. He was a total failure. All he did was buy expensive hardware. And then as soon as he left after chickening out on a fight, uh, he went to work for the company that had bought the hardware, that produced the hardware. So it was a total case of conflict of interest. But that's how we learned it, and we fought against it, to our credit. We but, named but, what it was. But now the side, Black Lives Matter, is arguing our position back then. In other words, they're against the militarization of the town. They're against, you know, oh, we don't, it used to be serve and well, protect. Wait, 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 I mean, like, I, we're not finished with the description of the Floyd narrative, the, the icon of the Floyd. Because, okay, that's the ADL egging on the police departments going all over the country making sure that police to get trained uh, to treat uh, fellow citizens as Palestinians. Okay, that's the one side. The other side is the black part of the equation, and that is Black Lives Matter, and that's funded by George Soros. At the time of Ferguson, which is a suburb right outside St. Louis, George Soros gave Black Lives Matter $33 million. So we've got Jews funding both sides of the racial conflict here. That's what's going on. And no one's, uh, first of all, no one's supposed to notice it. And then if you notice it and you mention it, you commit a thought crime. Because let's get down to what hate speech is. It's any speech that Jews don't like. Well, you, your, uh, your book, uh, Logos Rising, the word logos has something to do with speech. Okay? Right. And the famous verse that we've referred to it many times uh, is... That, that the Jews, Jewish people, Jews here in First Thessalonians, they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Okay, but right above that, he says, he gives praise to God, St. Paul does, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, the logos of God. Which right. effectually, which word, effectually the works. The word of God is the logos. Right. right. So here's Paul bringing the logos after he was fighting it himself, and he gets a conversion, and he knows, yeah, this is this is hard stuff. Yeah. So what do we know? We know that even the most uh, the most belligerent, narrow-minded, bigoted type of Jew can convert. 
because that's what Paul was, a persecutor of Christians, they can convert. Oh, yeah. They don't have to. They're not condemned. There's no external curse put on these people that they have to oppose Logos. This is a free choice on their part, and they can freely repent of it and change. And I know Jews who have converted because of reading my book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. I just got a long letter thanking me for writing from a, a Jew from Israel. Paul Eisen in England converted as a result of that. Uh, reading that book, a, a long conversation I had with him talking, you know, I, mean, I, I don't want to take credit away from the Holy Spirit. No one can come to the Logos without the help of the Holy Spirit, but I did play a role at least by talking about it. And that is pre so precisely back at that point. That's what you're talking about. What, you know what I'm saying. I've been preaching Logos for as long as I've been on YouTube, and you knew that. And you know that I know that the enemies of Logos are the Jews. And they've been that way ever since the time of St. Paul. Why is this news? Why is it somehow a, a shock to people? And why is it suddenly hate speech? Well, it, Paul, Paul is saying in the New Testament, it, when he wrote this, that was the case. The question is, is it still the case? And you're saying it's still the case. Well, let's, yeah, let's go, let's go to St. Louis. So what did St. Louis do that was so bad that we need to tear down his statue? Well, he didn't own slaves. He wasn't a general in the Confederate Army. Uh, he didn't abuse Native Americans. He never got, he never, he never, they didn't even know America existed. So what's, what's the issue here? Can you give a little background on him? Because I didn't know a thing until I looked it up on. on uh, yes, he was king, king. Of, king of France, I think from 12, something like 1220 to 1270. Yeah. Uh, 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 at a time when uh, Paris was the cutting edge of Logos in the world, in the world, because at that time, St. Thomas Aquinas was at the university, and St. Thomas Aquinas resolved some of the most difficult questions in the history of philosophy. Uh, but there was also ferment at this time among the Jews, because the Jews are now coming in closer contact with Christianity at a time when Christianity is very strong, a very powerful force. And so as now, as I mentioned the Jews who are converting now, as then with St. Paul, there's always a Jew who's going to wake up one morning and realize, hey, I'm on the wrong side here. And so it was Rabbi Nicholas Donan who con uh, converted to Christianity uh, largely through the work of the Dominicans. And uh, through the head of the Dominicans, St. Rainier Penaforte, he was introduced to uh, Pope Gregory IX, the Pope. And Nicholas Donan went to the Pope and said, do you know what's in the Talmud? And the Pope said, what's the Talmud? He didn't even know what it was. The Pope. The Pope didn't even know what it was. They're really, yeah. So uh, at that point, Nicholas Donan said, well, it's full of blasphemies. And the Pope, he started listing the blasphemies. And the Pope is shocked. And he says, turns to uh, Raymond of Peñaforte and says, if this is true, I, first of all, I want you to confiscate the books of the Jews, to examine them, and if this is true, I want you to burn them. Now, this is the cause of the uh, uprising now in St. Louis. But that's the, you're saying the Pope or the King? The Pope 
it, uh, assigned uh, the task to the Dominicans. The Dominicans examined them. They said, Donan's right. They're full of blasphemy. At that point, they reported back to the Pope, and the Pope said, okay, burn them. Well, it was the king who had to burn them because he was the head of the civil order. Okay. And so the Talmud was burned. Now, is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing? Well, the Jews think it is. Well, I was reading that the King Louis had severe laws against blasphemy. He had severe laws against usury. And his mother, he became king at age 12 because his dad right. died. But his mom was in charge until right. he reached maturity. And one point it was saying that she said to him in her training of him, uh, I'd rather have you dead at my feet than that, that you commit one mortal sin. So this yes. is some serious Christianity. So, so is blasphemy wrong? Well, yeah. Is it against the law in the United States of America? Well, not anymore, because the Jews uh, changed all of these laws. Under the guise of free speech, they um, uh, basically undermined uh, used agencies like the ACLU to basically get the laws rewritten to suit Jewish taste rather than Christian taste. And so the, the issue here then uh, is uh, what, what exactly is the principle here? Now, if you go to, let's take Alan Dershowitz as an example, the classic Jew, uh, the classic proponent of Jewish values. 1972, you can go on YouTube and there is Alan Dershowitz, type in Alan Dershowitz, William F. Buckley, and there he is to, uh, saying to Buckley that pornography is, should be covered by the First Amendment. Well, no one had ever thought that before this time. This is not speech. This is the exploitation of uh, human weakness for profit. And the Jews were heavily involved in pornography. And here he is defending Deep Throat, which was the cutting edge, the, the battering ram that was breaking down social morals at that time. And Alan Dershowitz is defending it. Okay, so the principle is anything is free speech, and they're completely behind free speech, no matter what. Great, except fast forward now 50-some years, and we have Alan Dershowitz standing in the Oval Office of the White House, and he's cheering on Donald Trump, who's signing an executive order banning free speech, in particular criticism of Israel at college campuses. Well, wait a minute. Where, what is the principle here? There, this, is, this is pure hypocrisy on the part of the Jews. Okay? Uh, there, there's no principle here. The principle is basically when Jews are out of power, they will use uh, pornography uh, and claim as free speech to subvert the social order so that they can take charge. And once they take charge, then you're not allowed to criticize them. You're not allowed to say anything against them because they control discourse. So uh, let's, put, let's be honest to our Jewish friends here. Okay, if, you're, if, if burning the Talmud is bad, why is it okay to ban my books from Amazon? Isn't this hypocrisy? And, and the point here is, wait a minute, am I not allowed to complain about your hypocrisy? Because this is what got me banned uh, from Amazon to begin with. Uh, I wrote a book called an ebook. I was on Amazon Kindle. I wrote an ebook called Jewish Privilege. Now, this is one of those things where I launched what they call a meme into the intellectual sphere, and it's all over the place now. The third highest trending 
thing on Twitter is Jewish privilege. Everyone is talking about Jewish privilege because people immediately understood that this is an important thing. It immediately became a bestseller on Amazon Kindle. That's their designation, not my de- They said it, I didn't say it. And at that point, uh, the Jews took notice and they banned it. So your book was taken off. That was taken off, okay? So, all right, that's annoying. And then I realized, okay, I have to take down every single book that has Jew in the title. I'm not allowed to say the word Jew on Amazon Kindle. They now, said so, or you? Well, no, they, 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 it was clear that with, they banned Jewish privilege, and they told me that anything like that. So we took down all of the books that had the word Jew in them. Okay, then Amazon is, is in the business of doing everything now. So they're producing movies. So they produce a movie called Hunters, which is about uh, Nazi hunters. No, I didn't know. We did that show. I didn't know Amazon produced that. Amazon Prime produced it. It's on Amazon Prime. And it is the most loathsome piece of hate speech that you can imagine. The Jews get to vilify anybody they don't like, and they simply do it by saying, hey, he's a Nazi. And not only that, if they think that you're a Nazi, they're justified in killing you. So not only is it hate speech, it's incitement to violence. And it's justifying because there's there's a... Uh, Al Pacino portraying the old Jew who says, it's not murder, it's mitzvah. Well, this is outrageous. This is an outrageous violation of uh, the right to speak. Nobody has the right to yell fire in a crowded theater. Nobody has a right to say, you have a right to kill that guy if you don't like him. That's what they're saying. I object. And that got me banned from Amazon Kindle. And then within a week, I'm banned from Amazon completely. Now, I'm banned. Uh, I, I've written books. I know this is hard for the Jews to imagine, but I've written books where I'm, I don't talk about Jews. Okay? They were banned too. Okay? All of the books. And not only that, there were reviews that people wrote of books like The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit saying, uh, this is, I read this book and I think it's great. Five-star reviews. They go too. Well, wait a minute, that's not your property, Amazon. That's the property of the person that wrote, and you've obliterated it. All of this has happened because uh, they are in complete control of discourse, and they're going to prove it to you by, by basically taking down all your books. But there is no surprise because when the Word of God, the Logos, went out at the time of Christ, time of Paul, there was fierce opposition. Well, whenever the Jews have power, they will suppress Logos. It's that simple. Look through, study. Why do you think I wrote the book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit? I document that. And for 11 years, there's not one Jew who could find anything to object to in that book. They couldn't. It was bulletproof. It was documented. They didn't know what to say. So they banned the whole thing. What, what people do to, to, so they don't have to think this through a lot is, well, we're in the end times. Jesus must be coming back soon. Well, that could be all true, but that could be kind of a cop-out, too. In other words, has, has history ever shown where the Jews have achieved this much power? Sure they have. When? How about uh, uh, Bolshevism in uh, 1917, when they took over, when the Jews took over Russia? Within one month, okay, the revolution is in 1917. Within one month, they create the Extraordinary Committee to Combat uh, Counter-Revolution and Terrorism. And the initials are the Cheka. And the Cheka is a Jewish organization. Okay, Richard Pipes said it. He's a Jew. 
Salo Barone said it, he's a Jew, Jewish historians all say uh, it was a Jewish organization because it was there to spread terror and Russians simply would not torture other Russians. But the reaction to the world at that time, especially you see uh, Hitler with uh, Barbarossa, he had people from all kinds of nations teaming up with, I think a, mo a lot of them with the belief, we gotta, we gotta drive this thing back. Right. That was the reaction to the atrocity of Bolshevism. And that's so condemned, it's not even funny. But is, it, is the reaction a physical reaction? I mean... Uh, well, the point here is the longer you go, the longer, the more you do this type of thing, the more you create violence. So the, the, the shootings, by the way, the rabbi at Poway, where they had the shooting at the synagogue, just pled uh, guilty for a crime of uh, stealing money from the, the charity that was created for the victims. Was that Pittsburgh? No, that's, that was in, uh, that's in California. California. So the rabbi just uh, probably won't do jail time because he's a rabbi and uh, they have Jewish privilege. But he was convicted of, of uh, fraud uh, and malfeasance there. Okay, but uh, it, in Pittsburgh, um, the man that did the shooting, they wrote a manifesto and he complained about certain things. I said then, I, I said then, I said, there are people who are blaming me. Michael Brown blamed me for it. I'm responsible. This is outrageous that a man could do this. But that's the type of people these, they, they are. This is the type of person Michael Brown is, who now, uh, by the way, apologized uh, said he didn't agree with me being banned from Amazon. Well, Michael, you're the one who enabled this by calling me an anti-Semite and saying I was responsible for the power shootings. Outrageous type of slander. But they get away with it because they have Jewish privilege. Okay? But the, the, the guy who did the thing in Pittsburgh uh, wrote a manifesto, and he said, basically, you guys are, you know, you're... You got a double standard here. You got a double standard. You're allowing immigration, you know, you're destroying our country and, and you're suppressing speech and I can't say anything. So if I can't say anything, I want to pick up a gun and start shooting. Well, guess what? The fact that you are preventing speech is creating violence. That's the cause of violence. Not me, not me. I'm trying to speak here. I'm trying to promote Logos. You're suppressing Logos and when you do that, you create violence. It's that simple. And that's the situation that is existing in St. Louis right now. It's... It was on the verge of becoming violent, largely because of the man who was leading it, uh, a man who calls himself a Muslim, uh, Umar Lee. Okay, now at this point, we have to get back to what I said about the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments? They have specific rules uh, about what uh, you're allowed to do or not do. And one of them is lying, and the other is theft. And this man engaged in both lying and theft in the campaign that he was waging to get the statue taken down. So first of all, there was the lying that was going on. He consistently lied about the people who were there opposing him, consistently called them white supremacists, uh, white nationalists. Uh, they, they were the same people that had been in Charlottesville. Now, he, it's a lie. I mean, you can say something that's false and it's not a lie, but it's a lie when you deliberately suppress the truth, and that's precisely what this man did. He knew they were Catholics. He knew that there were Catholics there to pray the rosary. He knew that they were not violent. He knew that they were not white supremacists, and he cons 
consistently up till Sunday, consistently uh, referred to them that and refused to answer any of the tweets they sent when saying, no, no, we're Catholic here. We have a right to pray the rosary. Consistently denied them their identity. No, and that brings us to the second part, which is the theft. He was engaging in identity theft with these people. And so the result was violence. He knew that. He knew that if you, did, if you say someone is white, well, that person is automatically a racist. And if he's a racist, then according to Jewish principles, you have a right to attack him. Isn't that the downside of free speech? Because I, and I get the idea in Britain, when somebody speaks wrongly of you, you have a better leverage in the courtroom to attack them for right. slander. It's part of this system that has been engineered here for the benefit of the rich and the powerful. So what happened? What happened? Uh, he consistently referred to these Catholics as white people, as racist, as white supremacists. And so he incited blacks to come. And there's a video. It's up on, you know, if you look at my article on the website, uh, you'll get the link to the video where there's a black guy beating up this 60-year-old white man. At the, at the prayer gathering. White man, except that he's a Catholic. So I tweeted, uh, why, are, why are those white supremacists praying the rosary? Is it because they're Catholics? Of course it's because they're Catholics. It was his lying that created the violence. That was clear. And it was the intention of the lying to create violence. That was deliberate incitement of violence, and no, one, no one's talking about this. So it says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Once you're, once you're in the camp of denying he's the Christ, you're in the camp of lying. Right. And so it's just easy. And, and, and then the lying led to identity theft. And basically what you're doing is denying these people their Catholic identity. Because you have to portray this as a black and white conflict. That's what's got to happen here. It's not a black and white conflict. In spite of all of George Soros's money, it's not a black and white conflict. That's what they're trying to create. What we're talking about here is in St. Louis is a conflict between Catholics and Jews. It's Umar, if you read Umar's testimony, he got the idea from Jews. For who, who knows, who, did the black people know what the Talmud is? Do they care one way or the other whether it got burned or not? Generally. Uh, no, no, they, they're not going to know that. They're not going to know that. But it turns out that the, the center of revolutionary activity was a synagogue, uh, the synagogue of Rabbi Susan Talva, uh, who used it as a sanctuary for uh, people uh, involved in the Ferguson protest back then. And then it turns out that uh, the famous uh, video we, we saw of the man defending his house. Oh yeah, the two, uh, the two of them. Well, they're neighbors, they're next door neighbors and they're feuding. It's got, Rabbi Susan does not like this guy and the feeling is mutual. So it was Rabbi Susan uh, who endorsed Umar Lee, who would still be a cab driver, I guess, if he hadn't been endorsed by the Jewish powers in St. Louis. So as soon as Rabbi Susan gets on board, then the Jewish press does an article, a sympathetic article to Umar, and then he becomes the leader of a serious movement. Well, but he's not the leader of a serious movement. He's a proxy warrior for the Jews. And the best proxy warriors are the ones that look least like Jews. And of course, Muslims, we know, are not Jews, just the same as black people are not Jews. So that's good. 
So you're, the be that, that you're better suited as a proxy warrior if you're a, a Muslim. But it turns out that this Muslim is only concerned about Jewish issues because the Muslims are, in, there is a Muslim population there, uh, but they don't support this idea. They don't support the idea of revolution. Uh, and uh, he doesn't speak for them, but he does speak for the Jews. Okay, and the Jewish, uh, well, the Jewish community is split. I mean, obviously, they're always split on something or other. Some of the Jews in St. Louis are embarrassed by this. Uh, but the point is, are they going to speak up? Are they, is there going to be a group of Jews who say, no, we're loyal citizens of St. Louis, uh, we like it here, and we think the statue should remain? So far, that hasn't happened, okay? That hasn't happened. But, but <clears throat> they definitely don't like who this king who became canonized, the only king that was ever canonized by the Catholic Church, right? Yes. Okay, so, so you have a king that becomes canonized because he was so godly in his rule, rule very well respected and that image they don't like it no so it was uh, according to umar lee's own testimony uh he got the idea from a group of jews uh they were jewish students at washington university and they did the original protest at the at the statue and that's where he got the idea so it, the idea never would have occurred to him Okay, uh, they got the idea from that from that uh, protest. So the question is, well, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Well, we're erasing the history of St. Louis. But but if but, you tear, if you tear down that monument, you're tearing down the history. You're you're tearing down a reminder of what was the history of St. Louis. But they they want to do more than that. This is a revolution. Well, that, but this is the way the revolution begins. The revolution doesn't begin with uh, guns. Uh, it begins with ideas, and so they're going to tear down. They're going to say we have hegemony over your history. You do not have your own history. We are the ones who determines what your history is going to be, and we are erasing this. And if you erase the people's history, you erase their identity. But this has been happening in the schools. Sure it has. Sure it has. Well, they control, the victors control history. So it's, it, it, we're going to erase your identity. And once again, we're back to identity theft here. This man is in the business of identity theft. He wants to seal the identity of the Catholic population of St. Louis. That's obvious. He wants to steal the identity of all of the people of St. Louis. Okay, because he's stealing their history. The next thing on his bucket list is Lindbergh Boulevard. They are not allowed to honor Charles Lindbergh. Now, did Charles Lindbergh own slaves? Was he a racist? Did he antagonize black people? No, it's purely, once again, a Jewish issue here. But they have taken, just like with the civil rights, they tried to attach the gay rights movement to it, but they have taken the Holocaust and they're trying to attach the uh, sufferings of slavery. Well, yeah, to it, that. if you no, it, you you go right from if you read the uh, the reports in the Jewish newspapers, it's like um, it's like night follows day. As soon as uh, uh, Louis the Ninth burned the Talmud, Hitler was right around the corner. Well, wait a minute, that's eight hundred years. A lot of water flowed under. The, this is typical of this tendentious Jewish history that gets imposed on everyone because they have Jewish privilege and they can tear down your statues and you can you have no way to object. You have no rights 
when it comes to Jewish privilege. You have no right to defend yourself if they call you an anti-Semite. That's it. That's the end of the story. No one should have this type of power over discourse. But, but, but you're saying that have we ever seen in history something similar to the, the, the Jewish strength in America now, and you said the Bolsheviks, but I think there's a great argument that World War II in, the, in Germany was mostly a reaction to the threat of Bolshevism. Of course it was. And I cover this in the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Uh, it's obvious Hitler could not have come to power if there had not been the Jewish-led revolutions of 1919 after Germany lost the war and was at its weakest moment. Uh, Eugen Levine taking over uh, the uh, Soviet Republic of Bavaria, uh, creating terror in that city and resulting in a reaction where the uh, militias from the countryside came in and basically fought battles, pitched battles in the street and drove the Bolsheviks, the Jewish Bolsheviks out. That had to happen. That was on everyone's memory during the 1920s because now the Bolsheviks controlled Russia and Russia became the source of subversion throughout the entire world. Everybody knew Bolshevism was Jewish. It was. It is. Does that mean every Bolshevik was a Jew? No. That's not what we're saying here. Stalin was not a Jew. Stalin hated Jews. Stalin was the man who drove Trotsky out of the country, the, the prime example of the Jewish Bolshevik, and had him murdered. There's always going to be someone else in your movement. But does that mean it's not a Jewish movement? No, it is a Jewish movement because it's dominated by Jews, and more importantly, it's dominated by Jewish ideas. But, but could we learn that, that perhaps Germany's reaction was not uh, the, the Christian reaction? Of course it wasn't Christian. It was pagan. Hitler, Hitler came to power, uh, and first thing he realized was that Germany is divided right down the middle because of the Reformation. So his first attempt was, well, I'll resolve the Reformation. So he brings the Catholics and the Protestants together. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. So he says, I'll have to do an end run around Christianity. I know. I'll go back to pagan Germany. I'll talk about Richard Wagner's operas, and that will unite. Well, that's what happened. So it, had to, it became a pagan movement because he failed to unite the division in Christianity. Well, that's going to cause problems, and it does cause problems. It's, you can't uh, remove Christianity and not expect some type of violent reaction. Part of what he was doing is trying to unite Germany to defeat the huge threat, in their minds, uh, Bolshevism. Right. And so he tried to unite it on, on the religious Couldn't lines. Do it. Couldn't so do it. So he had to try another, another method to get those things. So... That's the situation in St. Louis. Um, the other objection is that Louis IX uh, led crusades. And then Umar tweeted, Louis IX has no business in Jerusalem. Well, let's think about this. Is there a group of people now in Jerusalem who came from Europe who have no business there? Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, they're called Israelis. In 1948, these people showed up in that country, uh, engaged in acts of terrorism and ethnic cleansing, and drove the native Palestinian population out and set up 
their own dictatorial regime there, uh, which is there to this day, a regime which basically feels justified in shooting Palestinians in the back if they protest, uh, one injustice after another. Well, let's get this straight now. And that's not just that's not you saying that's Miko Pellet and, and yeah, people even who- even an Israeli like Miko Pellet is saying this type of thing. So it's hardly, you know, so does that mean, uh, does, does, does that make me an anti-Semite if I'm saying the same thing? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's a way of shutting down what I have to say. Okay, so if it's wrong for Europeans to take over Palestine, then why are you defending Israel? Isn't that wrong? So you have the both, they're the two instances, they're the only two things that they could dredge up to talk about Louis the Ninth. And they're both instances of if what Louis the Ninth did is wrong, then what the Palestinian Israelis and the Jews are doing today is wrong, and they have no right to criticize it. But also, the Muslim was a huge threat to, to Europe, and and, and the, those guys. Yes, felt this and, is- and I'm talking, and that is part that never makes it into the discussion. It's obviously part of the discussion. Okay, that uh, that there was a war going on between Islam and the West, and uh, the the West had a right to defend itself and make sure the sea lanes were open in the Eastern Mediterranean. That's what was going on. That's what led to the later, for centuries, they fought for centuries. The Battle of Lepanto was basically 300 years later, still trying to establish sea lanes in the Mediterranean. You know, Constantinople was cut off from Christian Europe, largely because of these, uh, the, the Islamic invasion. And that, you know, they felt they had a right to reunite the, the Christendom and take back the Holy Land. But, you know, even if that's not the case, who gave these people who are doing exactly the same thing that they're accusing, who gave them the right to take down the statue? That's the whole point. So the question is, who's in control here? Uh, we have to face up to give an accurate understanding of what is happening. Because if we don't, we will never win the battle. The part of the reason that this is even happening is that the, 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 the strength of the Catholic bishops uh, is weakened. They're not. And what has weakened Catholic bishops in this regard? Hmm. It's called Catholic Jewish dialogue, which is basically a misunderstanding of Nostratate that has led to nothing but disastrous results for the past 60 years now. Because they, in the old days, they could have stood, stood their ground and probably prevented this. Yes. And now they are missing in action. So the, the battle is handed over to people like Jim Hoft, uh, the Catholic champion, uh, the most visible figure there, not the only figure, uh, who is a practicing homosexual. This is not going to fly. Okay, I can tell you right now, it's not going to fly. There are other people there who are praying the rosary. Uh, uh, you know, the rosary crusade has been going on for a while. It's been successful. And in uh, on Sunday, they had a big confrontation. Okay, so Sunday, Saturday, uh, the article comes out. Uh, Saturday, Umar Lee tweets that... Uh, again, white supremacists, keeps using that term, are going to come and beat up an interfaith coalition of Jewish, Christian, and Muslim women. So the white guys are going to beat up Muslim women in front of the statue. That's what he says. Okay, well, by by this point, this is preposterous. 
okay? And what happens is nobody shows up on Omar's side, Umar's side, and lots of Catholics show up on the other side, and he's humiliated. And so right after the humiliation, he then challenges me to a debate. Okay. How did he, how did he do it? How did he call you? Call you? I mean, how did Facebook. He... Well, he contacted me on Facebook. Okay. So at this point, uh, we're, we're in the process of negotiating what's going on here, whether there's going to be a debate or not, whether we can establish terms. But uh, this, this is the, the, the movement. So in a sense, he lost. And there are Catholics there who are saying, yeah, the battle's over. Uh, let's just let sleeping dogs lie. He lost. Let's go move on. I'm not sure that's the case. I think that there's something more that needs to be uh, talked about here because, uh, to be honest with you, I'm the only guy who's discussing the inner grammar here. And so if we just leave it with Umar Lee, the whole background here, the whole Jewish-Catholic battle fades into the background once again, and we're back to this tired racial narrative that is completely false. No, there's, they did, It's false. There's such and, a laziness toward getting the intellectual right, content. right. So the main, I guess the main, the main thing that, that so basically Omar Lee's racial narrative got destroyed on Sunday night, okay? And it got destroyed largely because there was a procession in there and there is a black nun leading the procession. She's ringing a bell. Well, this doesn't look, she doesn't look like a white racist. I know she looks Catholic, but she doesn't look like a white racist. How do you explain that? Well. The whole thing blew up. It's obvious that this is this is this is a fraud. You're obviously misrepresenting the situation. You are obviously lying about these people but the, because you knew better and you persisted in lying about them. But going back to the original idea that this is all about defeating Trump. Trump is supposedly representing in a lot of people's minds the white man, the white people. I mean, right? I mean, who is Trump perceived as representing? Why is he a threat? I mean, have you ever sorted out that? Yes. Well, we there are people now. This is the head of Catholic Charities makes in, in, the, in Washington, Washington State, and makes a total ass out of himself by saying, I'm white, therefore I'm a racist. Instead of Catholic Charities, and Catholic Charities is a racist institution because we have white people. This is preposterous. This is not Catholic. This guy, look, buddy, if you're a racist, you should resign. That's not to say Catholics are racist. That's preposterous. What, what, what are you talking about? I mean, I've been to sections, I've been to mass in uh, sections of the world where I was the only white face. I mean, all those people are not Catholic. All those black uh, Africans in Kenya and Tanzania, they're white racist. Deep, this is preposterous. And it all blew up. It blew up in, in Umar Lee's face on Sunday night. And there are some people who say that his uh, challenging me to a debate is an act of desperation on his part. Well, that may be. It may well, be. but it gets down to the righteous <clears throat> cause that Trump needs to go. And they think it's a righteous cause. But the question is, why is it such a righteous cause? I mean, what's... Can they explain the righteousness of it, or what is what are you talking about? The civil rights movement. I'm talking about this whole movement right now. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, to get rid of Trump. It's all geared. To That's all it is. But but they why? why is look, he, at, look, you, you found it. We found this out 
with the, when we had the intersection of COVID and Black Lives Matter. So these are competing crises. They're both being orchestrated to drive Donald Trump from office. Okay, that's clear. Okay, but it turns out that uh, COVID, uh, you have to wear this mask because if you don't, you will spread this disease and you will be a bad person. Unless, of course, you're protesting uh, against the death of George Floyd, in which case you can, you can get together packed in like sardines with no one wearing masks and it's not going to matter. Well, this is complete hypocrisy. This exposes the, the sham nature of the rules that are being imposed on us. Maybe there is a COVID virus. I've written about this. I think there is. I think it was, I think it was weaponized in a in a laboratory in Wuhan, China, with uh, money from Anthony Fauci. I think it exists, but it is what it is. But is is behind the taking down of Trump? They don't need a reason. Is it just a revolutionary spirit? You know that just you need a pretext. A pretext. But they, do they have a real reason inside their mind that makes sense? Yes, they don't like him. And these are people. <laughs> yeah, but, these are people who are driven by will, not by logos. These are Nietzscheans. These are people who believe in will to power. These are people that believe uh, truth is the opinion of the powerful. But how do they know they don't like him? What happens if they, you know, you had a double-blind study and they spend a day with this guy Donald Trump and they fall in love with him and they go, "Don't you know you're how supposed do you to know that you don't like someone?" I think it's pretty. It, it, that's all you know. When you're in this frame of mind, you know what your passions are, you know what your desires are, and you don't know anything else. So everything revolves around people you don't like. Now, hatred is a Jewish virtue. Why aren't we talking about this? Now, that sounds like an awful statement, except that it's not my statement. It's Rabbi Meyer Zolvichik. Zolvichik. And he wrote that in First Things, which is the neocon uh, paragon of intellectual respectability uh, in this country. Well, why aren't we talking about that? Well, because we're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to talk about things that the Jews are allowed to talk Except, about. Except, uh, we only have four minutes, uh, public access here locally. We're in the glass ditch here, Peter. And that's where back to where we started. And we have to keep asserting our ability to uh, talk about the truth. Right. Talk about the logos. Because we're, the, the, the fate of the country hangs in the balance. So I think that uh, St. Louis is a hopeful sign. Because first of all, the whole phony-assed uh, uh, drama has been exposed for what it is, okay? Has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with hatred of Logos and the people who hate Logos. And once that becomes apparent, and once the Catholics gain their identity, then they can resist identity theft and defeat these people. I think it's going to happen. I think it's happening right now. But I don't think it's enough just to, to, to pray the rosary. I pray the rosary every night. But we have a, an intellect for a reason. And the prayer is supposed to support the intellect. And we have to be able to explain what is happening. Because if we don't explain what is happening and expose the real dynamics here, it's going to happen again. You know, I just saw a sign there uh, on Eddie and Jefferson. Uh, 
That's the Montessori school there. But anyway, I, I'm surprised. Maybe people are starting to think. It says spirituality and intellect, the intellect, must always go together. Well, well I, they I, haven't amen. been. I know amen. they haven't been saying that. I mean, it's like faith and reason. Are, are people two wings of the same bird? Faith and reason. Maybe people are starting to, you know, lo well, locally. I mean, this message has been going out well, here. Locally, locally, we've been spared a lot. Of, we've been spared the rioting. People haven't burned down buildings here. So it's a struggle here, but uh, I think we have, I think, let's face it, the fact that you and I and Mario and Vincent did that video where we all agreed about what was really going on, I think that had an effect. I think it had an effect on South Bend. People have come up to me on the streets and said, I saw that video and I'm glad you did it. So we just have to break through these uh, uh, Jewish commissars who are working for the Cheka and will uh, murder us if they get the opportunity. We have to f push back now before they round us up, uh, before the new version of the Cheka shows up. And it's not far. I mean, you can see this in Antifa. Antifa is a violent Jewish revolutionary group that has no qualms about uh, uh, beating you up or, or killing you. And they can't control themselves. I mean, it's a Frankenstein like Robespierre. I mean, they, they, they'll end up just eating anything up. We have to propose Logos as the antidote to this revolution that is occurring now. Yeah, yeah. And of course, that is precisely where the battle's at, because when you proclaim the word of God, Paul was saying, well, that's where the opposition is, because they don't want to walk in that. That's right. Okay, good. Um, so, but you keep going. And uh, by struck, God's grace. Struck down, but not abandoned. Right, right. As so, St. Paul said. Yeah. So God's grace is sufficient. Uh, when Paul was being pressed beyond measure, he said, uh, God, Jesus spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Right. So that is the good message. So uh, the grace is found in Jesus Christ, of course. And um, this is Citizens for Community Media, Peter Helland and Dr. E. Michael Jones.